If you have your Bibles this morning and want to open to Acts chapter 9, we're going to look there today. Uh, have you ever heard somebody say, or, or maybe you even said this yourself, nothing surprises me anymore. You know, maybe it, usually something happens in the news, right? Something has happened in, in our nation, in our world, and it's kind of shocking, kind of strange, kind of odd, and you're just like, man, I, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe they did that. And then you think, you know, nothing surprises me anymore. The way people act, the way they talk, what they do, it just doesn't surprise us. And just about the time I believe that nothing surprises me, usually something seems to surprise me. I found this on the internet this week. I was searching the, the top 10 most important events in history. And I want you to listen to not only what's on the list, but what's not, and also where they stand in the order. These are the top 10 from the beginning of time, most important events. Number one, signing of the U.S. Constitution. Number two, World Wars I and two. Number three, the assassination of Julius Caesar. Number four, the invention of the printing press. Number five, the invention of the airplane. Number six, the Declaration of Independence. Number seven, the invention of gunpowder. Number eight, the discovery of the Western Hemisphere. Number nine, the death of Jesus. And number ten, the death of Muhammad. At least Jesus made it, right? But I got to tell you that, 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 that surprised me. Because in my mind, not only is this list badly flawed, but... The top four greatest events in human history are all find it found in the first five books of the New Testament. Two of them are found in the book of Acts. Four of them didn't even make the list. And I would agree that one of the top ten greatest events in history was the death of Jesus Christ. But even the death of Jesus wouldn't have made that list had it not been for these other three events that followed. Because the next event, I would say, probably should be definitely number one on the list is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's not only the greatest event in human history, it's the greatest event in divine history. The, the third of the fourth greatest events is the coming of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Because that ignited a fire that has lasted for 2,000 years and is still burning in some ways hotter and brighter than ever before. It's proven to be a fire that the devil nor the world can extinguish. But the last of the four great events in my mind is the one we're going to look at today. And it revolves around a man that was set on fire by the Holy Spirit around mid-30s AD. It's one of the main reasons we're here today. I mean, we're studying through this, the book of Acts, and we're taking different portions of it, and so far we've looked at a church that's on fire, and we've looked at how a, a church responds when they're under fire. We've seen how a church fights fire with fire, and so now we're going to look at what does an individual look like who goes from having no fire to being on fire for Christ, and we're going to look at the conversion of a man named Paul. I don't think it's any short of the mark to say that of all the conversions that have taken place in history, this is probably one of the most famous. I mean, having a Damascus Road experience, that's something even people in the non-Christian world talk about. 
And the story of how this man was set on fire, it's reported three different times in the book of Acts. It, it occupies more space in the New Testament than about any other record except for the crucifixion of Christ. And I think it's significant that in, in one book, in a short book, that's attempting to cover the expansion of Christianity from its beginnings in this small group in Jerusalem to the faith that's filled the Roman Empire, it's significant that one man's conversion is so greatly emphasized. So why was it life-changing? Why was it uh, life-impacting, spiritually transforming? Maybe a, a stark contrast would, would help make the point. Uh, imagine with me if the headline on the front page of every newspaper in the world in 1944 said this, Hitler converts to Judaism. That would shock the world, right? But that really only gives kind of a slight impression of what happened here. Around 33 AD in the country of Syria. At the time, uh, before his salvation, Paul was the least likely person you think would be converted. He was Jewish by faith. He was a Pharisee, a Hebrew blue blood. He was Greek by learning, steeped in the world's philosophy. He studied in the finest universities in the world. He was a Roman by citizenship, an intellectual elitist in the pagan cultures. He was an immovable object whose heart couldn't be budged an inch until he met the irresistible force of Jesus. And when he did, he became a man on fire. And so as we, we study this man on fire today, I want to ask you this question, and I think it's a question that each and every one of us as followers of Christ should ask ourselves every day. Is my Christian faith a raging fire, or is it just a dull habit? Is our Christian faith a raging fire, or is it just a dull habit? Because I want us to see today the things that made Paul's faith a raging fire can, can help ignite and enrage that fire in us as well. Because even though his conversion was really one of a kind, I mean, anybody else here been, been struck by divine lightning, gone blind, had someone take you to someone who could miraculously remove that? So just me then. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it was one of a kind. No one has ever experienced something like that. But at the same time, the characteristics are truer for each of us. Because this is what we need to do when we are truly set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And it begins by seeing the light of God's truth. Well, let's look at our scripture, Acts 9. We'll start with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, to put this in context, the very first time Paul is ever mentioned, he's, his name is Saul. He was a witness to the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr of the Christian church. And he was simply stoned to death because he was bearing witness to his faith in Jesus Christ. And scripture says that Saul is there and he's holding the cloaks of those who are throwing the stones and the rocks. And Acts chapter 8, verse 1 actually says, Saul approved of the execution. And now we jump into chapter 9, and we're introduced to Saul again, and his blood is boiling. 
He's so angry at this church that he, he's on a 150-mile journey north from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he simply has one focus, one goal in mind, and that is to stamp out the fire of Christianity, to snuff out any light of the Christian faith. He's literally breathing murder. He's become the Jewish hitman. Now, it's interesting to note that at this point in time, Christianity is called the way. Did you catch that in the verse I read? Most likely because Jesus declared himself to be the only way to God. And so Paul is determined to make sure that the way is a dead-end street. But then something happens, literally in a flash, that not only changes his life, but changes the course of history. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Right? All of a sudden, without warning, he is bathed in this bright sunlight. But it wasn't what Paul saw, or I guess lack of seeing, but it's what he heard that changed everything. Verse 4. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, there's a couple things I want you to miss, because notice, Paul has never met Jesus before in his life. Right? He just knew that he hated him, and he wanted to wipe out his followers and his faith and his family and his fame from the face of the earth. And yet, the first thing he calls him is Lord. Who are you, Lord? But you know, we see that again and again throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament. The game changer is our Lord, Jesus Christ. The game changer is the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't the virgin-born Jesus that changes Paul. It wasn't even the crucified Jesus that changes Paul. It was the resurrected Lord that changes Paul. And I think at this moment, he begins to change his mind about, about everything. Because Jesus says to him, basically, you know, you're not persecuting the church. You're persecuting me. You haven't been hating the church. You've been hating me. You're not hurting the church. You're hurting me. You're not against the church. You're against me. And you know why? It's because... The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head of the body. See, when we are truly set on fire by the Holy Spirit, when we truly see the light of God's truth, we no longer separate the church from Jesus. You can no longer say, oh, I love the church, I just don't like the people in it. Right? I love Jesus, I just can't stand going to that building. You can't separate the church from Jesus. When you're giving to the church, you're, you're giving to Jesus. When you're supporting the church, you're supporting Jesus. When you're serving the church, you're serving Jesus. When you're loving the church, you're loving Jesus. And that's what happens when we see the light of God's truth. And an unbeliever might say, well, you know, if I saw the same light that Paul did, I'd probably believe and change too. But we have that same light. It's just as bright, if not brighter. We have the light of God's word. Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So have you seen the light of God's truth? The truth that 
tells Saul that he was in need of a Savior. And so are we. The truth that says Jesus Christ died on the cross for Saul, just like he did for me. The truth that says Jesus is alive, and we should surrender our lives to him. Because when we see the light of God's truth, we'll be on fire. And then we receive the life of God's spirit. So Saul is blinded by the light, and, and the scripture says his companions take him by the hand into Damascus to this house of a person named Judas. Kind of ironic to me. And Judas lived on Straight Street, it says in the scripture. And you know, I did a little research, and you know the reason he lived on Straight Street, why it was called Straight Street? Yeah, because the road was straight. <laughs> Apparently most of the roads there weren't so straight back then. And God tells this disciple in Damascus, the name of Ananias, he says, go to Saul and lay your hands on him and let his sight be restored. Now imagine for just a moment that you're Ananias. Would you be thrilled with that assignment? Because he wasn't. I, I, I know I wouldn't have been. I mean, you can imagine, he, he just basically says, Lord, you, you're talking about Saul the terrorist, right? You're talking about Saul the, the persecutor, Saul the, the murderer? You, you want me to go and, and help him restore his sight so he's no longer blind, so he can continue on doing what he's doing? God, I, I really got a headache today. I'm, I'm not feeling well. I'm kind of under the weather. Maybe you can send somebody else. I mean, can you blame him? I mean, Saul was a man that, in Galatians, it says he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I imagine probably some of Ananias' friends, maybe his family, had been persecuted by Saul, maybe imprisoned, maybe even killed. See, Ananias knew what Saul was doing to the church, but what he didn't know was what Jesus was doing to Saul. And so here comes the second stage of a man on fire for Christ. Verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, we could just change that to three words set on fire because Paul sees the light and he gains a sight but he also received God's might when he received his Holy Spirit. And again, you ask the question, how do we know? How do we know that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we know he was set on fire? How do we know that that ignition took place and it took hold? It's the same way that you know in your life. The same way that I know in my life, it's because you begin to share the love of God's Son. Let's continue, verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Christ. Saul, the man of hate, now becomes Paul, the man of love. 
And the supreme love in his life is Jesus. And he wants to share that everywhere he goes. That's how we know when the fire of the Holy Spirit is in us. Because that's the message we want to share everywhere we go. I mean, think about how cool it would have been to be in the synagogue that day. Right? Saul walks in, the reputation preceding him. Synagogue packed out with people because they, saw, they thought that Saul the persecutor had come in. So they give him the chief seat. They hand him the scriptures. And they wait. Because they know he's coming to give them what they wanted to hear. This blistering denunciation of the heresy called the way. This smackdown for all of those so-called followers of Jesus. But what they heard was not Saul the persecutor. What they heard was Paul the preacher. I mean, what a great moment that would have been when he stood up and basically says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who's risen from the dead and he is Lord. And that same scene gets repeated all across Asia, becoming the foundation of the church. And his mission is to take the Christian faith from this small group of Jews to a Gentile population that now numbers over 2 billion people. I mean, outside of Jesus, no other human being in history, I believe, is more responsible for the life and love and liberty of our church. And he never took a course on missions. He never read church growth books. He never attended seminaries. He did it because he was a man set on fire by the Holy Spirit, filled with the love of Jesus. And when we're excited, as followers of Jesus Christ, when we are excited, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the risen Lord becomes truly real in our lives, it'll be a game changer. It'll be nothing like this doctor I read about in Arkansas. See, he had misdiagnosed his patient, and he declared this woman to be dead. Well, the family was informed. The husband collapsed in grief. But imagine the surprise of the nurse when she discovered the woman not dead, very much alive. So she told the doctor, you need to go and tell the family. So the embarrassed doctor called the husband on the hospital phone, and he said, I need to talk to you about the condition of your wife. And he said, condition of my wife? She's She's dead. And the doctor's pride only allowed him to say, well, she's seen a slight improvement. (laughs) Slight improvement. See, there's no such thing as a slight improvement when we are ignited by the Spirit of God. When we see the light of God's truth, when we receive the life from God's Spirit, we share that love of God's Son. Not slightly, Not every once in a while. It becomes a part of us each and every day. Because that's what a fire does. It burns, and it burns brightly. So let me ask you this morning as we close, do you have the fire of God's Spirit burning in you? If you do, are you sharing it? Are you sharing the the truth of God's love with those in your lives? That's what he calls us to do. We as the church, that's what we are called to do. Or maybe this morning, you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to receive his Holy Spirit in you. 
If that's what you need, 